0: checking out this episode of the So I've Been Told podcast. My name is Adam Kramer. I am the host. And yeah, there's been a little bit of a gap between episodes. I have been very busy working. The uh, freelance lifestyle is sometimes very conducive to... Getting these things done, and other times, it is less than ideal, but whatever, I'm back. My guest on this episode is Ted Hazard, and he has a short film that is premiering today. Life is Pain is the name of it, I will put a link to it in the show notes any of the music you hear in this episode is by ted hazard and yeah thank you for checking this out i really hope you enjoy it ted is one of the best dudes i know so yeah i hope you enjoy hearing what he has to say
1: alright man so how's it going um it's going good all right well let's let's like go back to the beginning so what did like how did you first get introduced to punk rock and so we'll, we'll talk about comic your comics in a bit too but uh we'll talk about music for a while to start things off
2: yeah that's usually how these things go yeah usually when i when i do them with jay it starts off with these same questions, but by the end of the interview, Jay is really drunk. Yeah, i just lying upside down on Zach's couch asking <laughs> nonsense questions. Yeah,
1: I, uh, I I generally stay sober for my interviews.
2: Well, I mean, that's I think that's the flair for loaded words podcast. Yeah, is, that's... Is that's Jay. That's what Jay is.
1: That's that's kind of their shtick,
2: and that's why you know that's a, that's a good show.
3: But,
1: yeah, you know. Uh, I uh, I wish they put out more podcasts.
2: Oh, uh, you know, Jay's busy. The,
1: uh, yeah, I know, living. and I I've been slacking lately too. But uh, yeah. anyway, so yeah, let's let's get back on track. And like, how did you first get into music, and specifically, you know, punk rock music?
2: Well, if we say if we say music, I have to go all the way back to like when I was like eight or nine. Mm-hmm. Um, because what I was young, my my mother was like, you need to do something that isn't sitting in your room all day and playing wrestling video games. <laughs> so she kind of was like, you know, there's a a music school in town, and we have a grand piano downstairs, so you could take piano lessons. And I was like, I don't want to. And then she was like, Well, you're gonna, whether you like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> so that I took I, I took piano lessons. For a good chunk of my childhood, and then I, I started guitar, but then I kind of was like, "Ah, I don't want to do this; it's too much." And then I got involved in sports in school for a while. But see, this is this leads up to that. Yeah. Um, and then one day, I'm. I'm uh, exactly. See, see, getting involved in punk rock and the the whole cartoon thing is kind of all kind of together in how it happened. Cool. Because when I was in about tenth grade or so, I um, started getting really into animation and stuff, and watching it and, and enjoying cartoons. And I always like like to draw and stuff.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And then when I I was sitting in a class one day, and I just doodle. I literally just drew through my entire tenth and eleventh grade year because I didn't want, like pay attention in school, but somehow I passed. <laughs> um. So, I'm sitting there next to this friend, and I keep drawing funny pictures for her. She's like, "Yo, this is really good. You should do comics sometime." And I'm thinking, like, why did I never think about that before? So I started doing this crappy little sort of zine comic, and all at the same time, I sort of stopped showing any interest in sports. And like, I think when I started bringing my sketchbook to um, wrestling practice. That's kind of when it was like, you know, I'm more interested in the one thing than the other thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, now this is where we get involved with the punk rock stuff. I sat next to the drummer of a band called Putnam Street um, for most of my ninth, tenth, and eleventh grade year okay. in homeroom. And I'd come in, and the first thing I do when I sit down in class, I take my sketchbook out and I start drawing. He always thought, you know, these are pretty funny. But he was kind of like one of those, like, those dick guys that talks to you like, oh, well, I'm better than you, but this is still pretty funny. Mm-hmm. So one day, he sees me sitting there with my with my jean shorts, or I don't even remember what I was wearing at the time. I think I was in my whole Johnny the Homicidal Maniac days. I had a trench coat and, you know, dark red hair. And I'm, I'm sitting there drawing, and he's like, well... At this point, at some point in the last the last winter, I was like, "Maybe I should xerox these and sell them." And I started doing that. And he says, "You know, it would be a good idea if you took those and you sold them at one of the shows we do." And I kept okay. hearing about these shows, and I'm like, "What the hell is he talking about? A show? Are they like gonna? Are they gonna do West Side Story or something?" <laughs> and I was like, "You know what? I'll go." And, and they're like, okay, well, watch out for the steps, because it was at the of McAdoo. Okay. So, I go that Saturday, I bring my big bag of comics, and they're like, we'll give you a table, you can sell comics there. And I show up, and I went in, and the rest is history. I pretty much, I went to every single show that I heard about for the next couple years that was on a weekend in McAdoo, Pennsylvania. And uh, what, like, around what year was that when you started going to those shows? 2003
1: okay so you were you were pretty late compared to a lot of people as far as you know getting into punk
2: well like i was involved with these people from like about 2001 but i didn't start actually going to shows until 2003 and okay. then i was like i was like where have you been all my life yeah
1: <laughs> what What were some of the bands that were playing at the strand back in in those years well,
2: well, the big one at the time was No Service Project, mm-hmm. and they're still kind of trucking around doing their thing. Um, no Cash, which was a childhood favorite of mine. They always played The Strand. Um, and No Cash eventually turned into Mad Conductor. Um, Friendly Fire used to play up in uh, McAdoo a lot.
1: Is, um, is Mad like Mad Conductor there from Northeast PA?
2: Uh no, actually the whole group originally was from Nazareth, Pennsylvania, and that's okay. about I wanna say about forty five minutes from the area here. Yeah, and they it that's still there's still a band, right? Um, no cash or the Mad Conductor. Mad Conductor. I'm pretty sure that they still tour Yeah,
1: 'cause I know that I think they've played here in Rochester like I don't think I saw them, but I I've heard about them playing here.
2: Yeah, so they're apparently cool. like really big in Buffalo. Okay, that's that's yeah.
1: awesome. I didn't know they had any connection to you know that northeast well, PA scene.
2: Yeah, well, it was it was funny because when I went up to play Buffalo a couple years ago, I wore my No Cash shirt. Okay. And Brandon Neal was like, "Oh man, No Cash! We love Bad Conductor and No Service Project and all those guys up here." And I'm like, "Wow, it is really a small world, isn't it?" Yeah. <laughs>
1: Awesome. So, when did you first start, you know, getting involved in playing? Not to, you know, more than just going
2: uh, to shows. Um, well, one of the bands that played while I was was involved in this, like it, a month or two had passed, and I'm watching these bands, and I'm like, you know, I, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I used to know how to play stuff. I could probably pick something up again and get good at it. And I kind of got a flair for, like, theatrics and stuff like that. Because from a young age, I always, like, had... I really never had stage fright. And that was because of of taking the piano lessons and doing the recitals and stuff okay. when I was younger. Um, so I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, you know, I could probably sing in a band, maybe. And one of the bands that played was called Infernal Noise, and they had a guitar player by the name of uh, uh, Riggs Miller. And, see, he was kind of on, on the outs with this band. He was like, oh, I'm the front man, I sing, I write music, but really the band was not very good at all. Mm. And the rest of the members were like, we want to get a singer and get rid of this guy. Nobody wanted to tell Rig. So... <laughs> that we um that i guess we pull, and she was like i heard i want to start a band and she's like hey you know you could ask riggs to be in your band because he plays the guitar and you don't so i was like i i think there's more people in a band we're gonna need than that so i'll ask her around so a week or two passed or maybe a month or something mm-hmm. i knew it was right before summer break and i'm like okay, so Riggs, we're going to do this band, right? Every week. He's like, yeah, in the hall. And I'm like, it's going to happen, right? Yeah, it's going to happen. You just got to find the rest of the members of the band. So I'm like, okay. So I asked my my one friend, Lance, who actually was dating that girl we both had a crush on, I guess. <laughs> and we asked this other guy who, who played drums for a metal band or wanted to play drums for a metal band, but in the in the end it was like, yeah, I'm not coming. <laughs> <laughs> and then while I'm asking around for, hey, we, sh- we should, we should, like, I want to start a band look for members, this random guy shows up. and His name is Dane. And he's like, I could sing. I'm like, okay, that's good, but I'm already the singer. Oh, we have two singers. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, what kind of music do you listen to? And I'm like into, like, No Effects and Rancid and Pennywise and local stuff. Oh, I'm into, like, Blood for Blood and Insane Clown Posse, and I'm. <laughs> 16-year-old me like, this could work. So we had our first practice after we walked across town from West Hazleton to regular Hazleton in my room. And Riggs brought his guitar amp and his guitar, and we had one mic set up, and I sang my lyrics that I showed to Ryan, and Dane just sang whatever. And we were like, oh, this is going to work. And Lance showed up for one practice, and that was it. And after a week or two or a couple of weeks it was just me and Riggs again and we're like oh okay <laughs> I guess those other guys aren't coming and the Riggs is just like good <laughs> <laughs> so we we started like you know we got a couple songs together we memorized them we were actually getting not that bad um, and then our friend J-Rod who eventually would become the drummer of Terror Town High okay garage shows in a little place out in Hazleton called Cunningham and me and Rich were like yo let's both go maybe he'll let us play let's bring our stuff so we asked him "Can we play and he's like we have like a drummer guitarist or like just me and the guitarist like alright well (laughs) your funeral have fun (laughs) and but at the same time we saw this, this young kid there who was about 14 at the time in a Green Day Kerplunk shirt and He's like, yo, uh, I play punk rock drums. And we're like, oh, you, you know how to punk rock drum? He's like, yeah. If you guys want someone to like sit in on drums for you, I'll do it. They're like, all right, well, this is going to be a giant disaster anyway, so get on up there. So he played with us. Everybody walked away, but we thought we were the greatest thing ever, and we told Justin right at that moment, you are in our band now, and we are called Choking Hazard. And that was Justin. Um, Justin Phillips. He's in one win or was in one win choice. I don't know what he's doing now. Okay, so not anybody I know. Nah, he's he's from this area. It was like I said, he was in one win choice. He used to be in Arsenal Mayhem. Okay, Um, I remember Arsenal Mayhem. Yeah, that was him. (laughs) Okay.
1: Now, how long was Choking Hazard abandoned? Is is that where you you first took on the? uh... The moniker of Ted Hazard?
2: Well, yeah, because the same J-Rod that we were talking about that owned the garage, he started calling me Ted Hazard. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of stuck. And then like later on, when I was in other bands, I'm like, if I just call myself Ted Miller, people aren't going to remember who I am. So I just kept using it to save face. For, for a little while, when
1: I first met you, I, I thought that Hazard legitimately was your last name.
2: A lot of people still think that. Yeah. I mean, and then when I, they find out it's not, they they bust my balls about it.
1: I've I've heard like crazier real last names, so it's not that unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> so how,
2: how long how long did you guys have that band? It was about a year. Okay. Um, and then we got a, we got a bass player that was just a, a kid we knew down the street named uh, Rob. He played with us. He actually got really good. He went on to be in Arsenal Mayhem, but like. I started picking up the bass and the guitar at the same time and I taught myself, you know, how to write music, how to play music at this time. And I kind of suggested to the guys I'm like, "Yo, it'd be cool if like I played second guitar." And they're like, "No, not really because you're just going to be the singer." And I'm like, "But if I sing and play guitar, we won't have to find a second guitar player." They're like, "No." <laughs> and I was kind of getting fed up, but at the same time, the same kid who invited me to my first show was like, I'm fed up with my band. And I'm like, I am too. And he's like, well, maybe we should do something about that. Maybe we should start our own band. So eventually, I quit Choking Hazard, and that's what I did. I grabbed my bass, and I started jamming with him on weekends. Okay. And we got Tony from Things Left Unsaid to be our guitar player, and that's where Carrot Town High came from. Okay. But eventually, Rich just joined that band too, because <laughs> why not? And, and you know, it just keeps going and going. I, you know, start bands, I leave bands, and now I'm where I am today. Yeah, there's just so much more history.
1: <laughs> um, those those first two bands, um, Terre Town High and Choking Hazard, did you guys um, release any music?
2: Uh, like, you know, demos, EPs? Well, the entire album that we recorded as Choking Hazard is on YouTube. Okay. Cool. Um, And the same thing goes for the, the second album Territon High did, Controversy Can Be Funny. That was actually, we were signed to the infamous Acne Records to release that album. Okay. And after we released it, we decided to break okay. up because our drummer quit, and we didn't want to get another one. And I kind of was just fed up at this point. I was like, "You guys treat me like crap. I don't want to be in a band with you anymore." Gotcha. What? And plus, we wanted out of our contract. The guy was like, "You have to have three albums for me under the Terratown High name." And then we were like, "Well, if we just not be a band, we don't have to do that." Mm. So we stopped being a band. What What year was was Terratown? Like around what years was Terratown
1: High doing stuff?
2: Um, about two thousand five. You know, end of 2004 into like 2006 was our initial run mm-hmm. and then after Pope Fiction was a thing um, halfway through I'm kind of like talking with Tony and Riggs again and they're like yeah we want to do TTH again and I was like no I ain't doing it unless Jared comes back and then Jared came back so I was like okay well I gotta quit this other band so I show up at our drummer's, practice, or drummer's house that I'm like, hey, I gotta grab my PA because I'm running a show. Okay, man. Well, I'll see you at band practice. I'm like, yeah, I sure you will. I just drove off.
1: <laughs> so, and Pope, and Pope Fiction was another band that was in there as well?
2: Yeah, Pope Fiction... Hold on a second. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Pope Fiction was another band that kind of started... Off of uh, TTH, because mm-hmm. literally when TTH broke up, this Bill kid, he shows up and he's like, You need a drummer? I'm like, I think so. Like, I could do it. And I was like, Okay, let's try him out. And they're like, You don't want to try him out. I'm like, Oh, well, you know, what? I'm going to start a band with him. And I showed up to his house. He was like, Where's the rest of the band? And I'm like, You're looking at it. <laughs> and then I just ended up asking um, our friend Bobby, who was in Ted and the Hazards, to play too. So that was a whole other band we thought we were leftover crack but we weren't <laughs> um and you know and that was the band I initially i met tyler troutman in. i think yeah pretty okay sure cool we met in a basement in jim thorpe and light was there too and it was real awkward because they're like we were supposed to play backstage enterprises or whatever the place was called and we were like we were also supposed to play some show i think but now we're playing this basement and that was pretty much the extent of the conversation
1: yeah back in the day like there wasn't it seems like there wasn't a lot of crossover between like the Schuylkill and Northumberland County like scene that Tyler and I were a part of together and that like Northeastern PA scene and somewhere you know around that time is kind of when things started to cross pollinate
2: well what what ended up happening, at least in my opinion, was when we were younger and we were doing music in our own towns, there was more people actually involved in it that wanted to do it. So, like, you had, mm-hmm. like, about, like, ten bands in high school at the time that could all get booked on shows, and you didn't really have to worry about getting a band from out of state or, or out of town to come in and, and you know, fill your spots up, Yeah, you know, network and stuff like that. And then when everybody graduates high school, and goes off to college, and of course there's going to be those people who get sick of the music scene and are like, "I'm going to go be, you know, a, I don't know
1: anything a but a musician.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go be a lawyer or something like that." And then you don't hear from them again until you you see them at a bar about 10 years later and they tell you how they messed their life up and they wish they could still go to shows and stuff, and you're just like, "Yeah, I didn't stop going." So. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Uh, now, did all these all these bands like play at like Cafe Metro? I I just love talking about the Metro because I love that place so much. Uh,
2: yeah, well, Choking Asser didn't get on a Metro show. We tried tooth and nail to get onto a Metro show, and every time we tried, they're like, "You don't have a demo. You can't play." Mm-hmm. And when we finally recorded, we never released the album. Gotcha. So we didn't get on, but thankfully, Terror Town High. Um, we had access and since I was going to college at the time, I had access to a recording studio. So I was able to record our first album, which was terrible. But then we recorded with Joe Loftus. I think it was 2005, 2006. And we got controversy can be funny done. And we, we spent about four months on that album, make polishing it up, making it good. And it came out in March and when we started sending those demos to Cafe Metro, they told us right away, they're like, yeah, you guys can play this show. And we played about two Cafe Metro shows. Cool. That that
1: was a, a special venue. It's not their first time coming up on this podcast. Yeah.
2: yeah, the second time we played it, we played, the crowd was nuts. And right after, we're like, man, well, let's go to Denny's. And the next morning, I woke up, and I heard a guy got stabbed at that show. And I was like, oh... This TTH is a little too much for him <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I never
1: was there for any of that crazy stuff. But I know that some shady things went down at that venue. But I, I still love that place. And you make an appearance in that documentary, too.
2: Well, yeah. See, the funny thing about all that was the other bands I was in, Reggie Gus and Jamie, Pulp Fiction, they never got a chance to play A Metro because that's when the music scene was mostly metalcore mm-hmm. and screamo stuff and we really didn't get to get out that much to do anything because that's all it was I think honestly the, most of we cousin Jamie's shows were either we would play wrestling shows or we would play hardcore shows where we stuck out like a sore thumb at um the Phillips Emporium
1: yeah and... that was that was a weird that was such a weird time because I wasn't like I was playing you know, like, oh six, oh seven. I was in like sort of an emo band, and we played with a lot of metalcore, and
2: it was real weird. Um, and the the funniest thing the funniest thing about Rachel, Gus, and Jamie is that is actually the band where I got the no beer and pretzels in. Okay. Because our bass player was uh, Eric, who would drum for them for years. Yeah. And then when we decided to record, Cash and Workman just show up and they're like, we're going to be here too and help with the album. And Chelsea Smar was there too. Mm-hmm. She just kind of sat in a corner and didn't, didn't do anything. <laughs> she just laughed the whole time. I mean, if you listen to the recordings, you could probably hear her laughing, but you could definitely hear John and, and cash and me and Eric and all the other people laughing. W- it was, it was definitely a weird, weird point in time for the music scene for me, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and since we're bringing them up, we're like taking little bits and pieces of each band. With Rage for Cousin Jamie, we well that came from us trying to do Terror Town High again, and then Riggs being in five bands at once. And Jared just kind of being like, yeah, I don't think we should do TTH anymore. And I'm like, oh, so you don't want to do music? And he's like, yeah, but I want to do music with you, because you seem committed. so let's do that and then we're like you know what we're gonna be like you know what we're gonna do we're gonna be like death from above 1979 and I'm just (laughs) gonna play a distorted bass so I started doing that and we played our first show and and this is the funniest thing Riggs showed up because his band was playing and he took his guitar out and he was playing it unplugged and I'm like you get the hell off this stage (laughs) 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 and then at that point jared shows up to practice he's like do you have a guitar and i'm like yeah i kind of have one he's like all right you're playing guitar now but i don't want to play guitar do we get a guitar player no they're a guitar player now <laughs> so i started playing guitar and then he's like eric's gonna be our bass player this was his band i was just the songwriter and then one day <laughs> horn players show up and i'm like why are there horn players here he's like oh we have horn players now so we had three horn players And we were like an indie ska band. And then the two horn players kind of stopped showing up for practice. And Jamie Harashak, who's in Amber of Two now, he was the horn player. And that was the band. And we played a bunch of on and off shows until we recorded our album. And Jamie was like, I'm going to college, which is far away. And Jared was like, I'm having a baby. And then I was like, hey, Eric, we can do something. And Dale, who was our second guitar player, and they were just kind of like, if there's no drummer, we don't really want to play. So then it was just me with an acoustic guitar, and I'm like, I can just write my own music. And that's kind of where Ted Hazard came from.
1: Yeah. And did you, with any of these bands, did you guys play out of, You know, out of that kind of northeastern and central Pennsylvania area, or was uh, Ted Hazard really your first? uh,
2: Well, every band I was in before Ted Hazard and the Ethno Buddies and Condition Oakland, of course, we only played in Pennsylvania, and the furthest out we ever went in Terre Town High was in Du Bois. Okay, and that night was hell because we drove all the way out there to play that roller ring. (laughs) <laughs> and we didn't get home till four in the morning because there, there was a snowstorm.
1: Was there anyone and, at the roller rink? Is my question because I played there too and it was an experience.
2: A couple people were there. Um, I didn't see any business fairy stickers though, so I think this was made before Keith's time. Um, but when I was when I was out there, there were a couple people and there were people skating and. And then we played with a bunch of metalcore bands. And then we went to Perkins afterwards. And I'm like, the show sucked. I'm like, I don't want to be a musician. And they're like, you say that every single time. (laughs) And then I'm like, I'm not driving home. I'm too stressed out. I'm going to take a nap in the back of the car. And J-Rob was like, okay. So I got home 4 in the morning and just kind of slept. And woke up the next day, and I was like, "All right, I want to see what the band's doing today. Maybe they want to practice."
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I played there, and I, I think it was '07, and with, uh, with Red Eyes for Blue Skies, <laughs> and, uh, and Stephen Haramis, the the guy who was the the drummer in Endangered Youth, and a whole bunch of other bands. He used to do solo piano, music. And we we played a show together for like five people, three of which were our friends from Sunbury who drove out to see us. But we walked into the walked into the place, and the owner was just like smoking a joint, like right out in the open. He was like, "I don't know if anybody's coming, but you can roller skate for free." <laughs> but uh, that's that's rad that you guys played rad and weird that you guys played there too. Yeah. Um. So and we also.
2: When I was, since we're bringing that up, while I was in Rage for cousin Jamie, we actually played um, oh, what's the, the Capitol a bunch of times, okay. And then we played it when it turned into Tuesday Tunes, which is funny because Territown High played Tuesday Tunes when it was in Lewisburg, still, okay. And that's, yeah, yeah. I I don't think I saw you guys there, but I was at
1: like Red Eyes played a lot of shows. That was like our home venue. Was that. Uh, Lewisburg Tuesday Tunes. There's, there's gonna be a, like I've got some episodes in the works where uh, I'm hoping to talk to the guy who's making that documentary about the Capitol So that'll yeah. be so that'll be uh, he and I have talked. We just gotta set up a time to do an interview. I, I'm excited to kind of dig into the history of that place a little bit more. Uh, now when did you so was coming up to Rochester your like first like far away shows?
2: Well, the first time I played out of state, actually, well, see, I was, I kind of stopped doing music for a little bit and focus mainly on being a freelance comic artist.
1: Okay. And we are um, going to, I know, I know you're probably like ready to talk yeah. about stuff, which we're, we'll get to it. I, I just got to, you know, like you've heard enough of the other episodes to know. I just kind of like digging into all of this
2: old shit. Yeah. But I, that's, that's just, yeah, I went out to Jersey a couple times to do some Comic-Cons and in New York City. And then the first time we actually, I actually played out of state was with the F and Nobodies. And we okay. played at the Clifton Bar or the Clash Bar in Clifton, which was like... It was kind of a weird experience because it's like I met a band from out of state. And I'm like, okay, this is different. Mm-hmm. Um... And, you know it was fun to do that and then when i when i that band broke up and i started doing Ted Hazard i was like you know what i'm not now that i'm not hung up by anyone else to play music with, you know with anybody i'm just going to just play everywhere so i played jersey um and then i really didn't start trying to get out and playing other states until being Condition Oakland started like bumming around together. But the first tour I went on, I went down to Maryland and Oh man, I don't think I really went anywhere besides Maryland and a bunch of places in PA, so that wasn't technically a good tour. But it was still fun. Um and that was funny that tour because a lot of the shows I was on with condition opened and I'm pretty pretty sure at the last show of tour, I was just kind of like, so we got a couple hours to kill. You guys kind of want to hang out before we play? And they were kind of like, all right, I guess. So we went to, like, a weird subway in the Pocono Mountains and kind of just hung out. And then after that, it was like, yeah, we'll, we'll see you around. And then, like, a couple months later and Tyler like sort of started jamming um, with Jay this kind of side project band and then we just started It's kind of just started like we were were like trying to find excuses to hang out with each other it's just like (laughs) hey we're going to jam this industrial noise band if you want to come up and I'm like (laughs) "Eh, I don't want to be part of it but I'll come watch (laughs) (laughs) and then you know that was kind of just like the rest is like history with like you know hanging out with those guys and starting to get involved with them and then it was like a weird part of time where I was involved in the Hazleton party folk punk scene Mm -hmm. and I, I was like I wanted more like I wanted to be like I want to do more with music I want to get out I want to tour I want to actually be a legitimate musician and those guys just all wanted to get drunk in a garage together mm-hmm. so the last we would they would do a lot there was a lot of house shows in Hazleton at this point in time and I, I was I was responsible for throwing a few of them because I would do shows at my the old place I lived and that was and then that was the the, the hazard the hazard area okay yeah. yeah and when East meets West would do shows at their venue at their house they called the pit Mhm. And the last show we played at the Pit, which was the last show, Brandon pretty much said, we don't want any nonsense going on here, but we're going to shove 50 bands on the one bill. Wow. And there's going to be no stress or anything. We're just going to have a fun show. And halfway through the show, it is a funny thing, because I asked Brandon, can Tyler play? Because he's going to be coming back from Bethlehem. He wants to know if he could do a solo set. And Brandon's like, yeah, I just told him to show up with his acoustic guitar. And we're, I'm there, and Tyler shows up with Dan, Billy, and Allison, and I think Jay was there, too. But what ended up happening was in the parking lot, and the story is very fuzzy. There was this girl, and she got in a fight with her, her friend, and she started kicking cars in the parking lot of Damon's, which is next door, and Damon's calls the cops they're like something's going on over there and there's a girl kicking cars and next thing you know someone runs out of the bushes and it's like oh my god the cops are coming the cops are coming they're gonna shut it down and and there's a bunch of like underage drinkers and stuff like that and so we're all like freaking out and I like run out and I don't remember who said what but one of us was like I'm like Tyler or Tyler's like Ted I'm like what and he's like the cops are coming we gotta get the hell out of here and Tyler's just like alright Meet me at, of all places, Taco Bell.
1: <laughs> that, so we go to Taco Bell. That would be where I would expect Tyler to
2: want to meet anyone. And we're all there, and we're kind of just like, well, that was a whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> and then that, you know, we just started like hanging out and stuff, and I kind of slowly stopped hanging out with those other guys. I'm like, I'm not going back there. Yeah. I want to be involved in a different part of the music scene and then at that point it was like it started the little remains of music scenes that were in each area like you know Schuylkill County what was left of Hazleton bits and pieces of Scranton like you know a little bit of Williamsport we all sort of just started doing shows together and that the music scene went from being you know huge and little areas to just kind of being broken up and then just kind of combining again where it's like any show you'd have would have a band from like Williamsport, Scranton, Hazleton and like Brackville and it was kind of more interesting because you had so many more stories to hear and so many different personalities and new friends and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, it's there's definitely, I still see this now when I, you know, come back home and, and go to shows. It, there's not always a lot of people, but there's, like, a close-knit community in the scene in, in you know, northeast and central PA, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um. So when you guys, I'm going to tie this in with, with the comics in a minute. So you, you guys, you first, you did a tour with Tyler and ended up coming up and meeting, uh meeting this whole uh, Rochester crew.
2: Yeah, um, that was actually, well, that wasn't my first tour, but it was my my, my second tour, but it was the first tour I did with Condition Oakland. I think Mm -hmm. after we did that one tour, and I kind of, like, came up to hang out and do, oh, we were doing the Violent Nuns at this point, because we thought it'd be funny to be uh, the Violent Nuns for a little bit. (laughs) And I was just kind of like, I'm like, it's fun being the violent nuns for a little bit, but you know it would be cool, since like, you guys aren't really playing with a drummer right now, and I'm acoustic. If we all kind of went on a tour, or maybe Tyler said that one of us said that, mm-hmm. and then we all of our eyes lit up We're like, "Yo, that'd be a great, great idea to go on a tour with each other." And so he, they booked the tour. I booked a couple shows. Um, obviously, I booked the ones that weren't very good. <laughs> but you know, we went up to Rochester, and I, I was like, "Oh, I was like, so this is what an actual tour feels like. This is great." So <laughs> we went on a bunch of bunch of other tours together, and, and that was fun.
1: Yeah. So, and that's that's when you and I met, and that's been uh that's the uh, it's been fun. Uh But one of the things I. Remember <laughs> One of the things I remember from early on is uh, you bringing your comic books along and I remember you had the Captain Anarchy comic book.
2: Yeah, um, I forget exactly at what point I started doing comics again, but after 2010 I had a, a real sour taste in my mouth about doing any kind of comics. And in most of 2011 I didn't do them, and then in 2012 I started doing them again after an idea I had with some friends about because we, we just saw the Dark Knight Rises, okay? Mm-hmm. And I had this old character that I used to draw in high school called Captain Anarchy and we were joking around like, hey, if he had like a super villain bad guy, he, he would probably be the hipster, like the Joker. Yeah. But he's a hipster. So, we kind of started joking around about that and they're like, oh man, if only we knew like someone who did comics and stuff and I'm like, I I do comics and I could do it, so I wrote the story and I drew it, and it came out great. And it was like my my first foray back into doing comics after not doing them for so long. And then eventually, I tried doing a sequel to Captain Anarchy. I finished it, and I didn't like it, so I never mm-hmm. released it.
1: And did you did you
2: self publish that Captain Anarchy? That comic was book? all self. That was all self published. Cool. And
1: how many, like, how many copies of that did you, you know, put out and sell?
2: Uh, I know, compared to most of the comics I do, or used to do back in the day, the run was pretty, like, I think I got about, it wasn't like a huge run, but it was about like 50, maybe 100, uh, but they all sold, so, you know, that was it was pretty refreshing, and then I was like, oh, I'm gonna do more stuff with comics now, because it actually seems like it's going somewhere.
1: yeah. And, what, and uh, was there something that came in between that and when you started doing those Guts Crew comics?
2: Well, yeah, that's, we're bringing that up. Um, I actually started doing, when well, after I got sober, I started working on the book, Life is Pain. Mm-hmm. And that was about, you know, me dealing with, like, my alcoholism and stuff. And I did that, and I planned to release that, and I never got the funding to release it, so I never did. So it kind of just sat on my computer until now, when I'm making the film about it, which worked out better. Cool. And then after I did Life Is Pain, I did Squid Life Crisis, which was never released either. Which I kind of I'm planning on doing the same thing with that that I did with Life Is Pain. And then with those, those two, I, I kind of started. I adapted a style from a book I did in 2010 called total crap, where basically we just need drawing little absurd pictures and writing nonsensical stories with them. Hmm. Okay. So I used that style in life is pain and squid life crisis. Cause it was easier to draw and it was more appealing. It didn't look like what everyone else draws. Okay.
3: Cool.
2: And I remember, I remember it like, like, like it was yesterday. I'm, sitting there and i think i was with ed from right hand here and the 40 odd steves and i'm like kind of like you know it'd be funny if i just like started drawing a comic about the local music scene and i think i had just this like dumb idea it was the first guts crew comic i ever drew and he was sitting right there with me when i drew it And I I don't even remember what the idea was. I'd have to look it up. But it was something with burned CDs. And it ended up with like Billy with his shirt off and a goat. (laughs) And I was like, hey, this is pretty good. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to start doing these. I'm going to do them. And this is what always happens. I'm going to do these comics once a week. So I do not stress myself out. And the next day, I drew the first comic with Christy Keenan in it that that was it like i drew it and i put it on facebook and i got like 50 likes and i was like you know what i'm just gonna keep going
1: nice now how, how many how many of those guts crew comics did you do and uh like with that name do you remember
2: um actually i do i have this all documented and, and everywhere Well, oh, my my netflix is still up what do you know um <laughs> I have about the first five volumes are all Gutscrew. There's about 549 actual Gutscrew comics. Wow. And currently I'm at, let's see here, 1,445 finished comics. Wow. And that is not including um, holiday specials. Or what I did for the deli. I have about a hundred some comics done for the deli. The
1: the deli is a. That's a Philadelphia based. uh, Is it a magazine or just a website. Yes
2: it's actually a national based. um, Music magazine. Okay. That's awesome I didn't know much about it. Yeah there's like websites for like. Each major American city. on, On the internet. But there's only one actual. Like released publication in new york city okay and
1: so you started out doing the gus crew ones which i mean those were they're super fun for for me and all the people that like we know you so we were we all made it like people in the scene here in rochester and people back home we all kind of made appearances so obviously that's super fun for us but then you kind of transitioned um to which is also super rad. And how many? How many? And you you started that as just a, a comic, and then then you developed that into your cartoon.
2: Yeah. Well, we um, the reason why, and everybody always asks me this. The reason why Guts Crew became press You see, the the fun part about Guts Crew was, everyone always asked me, "Oh, you should draw me." Like a cartoon, yeah, and that's what Guts Crew was. It was me drawing my friends as cartoons because they always asked me to draw them as cartoons, and then it kind of got to a point where everybody wanted to be in it, mm-hmm. and it also got to another point where I would draw people like Mars from the right hand here. He has he has some and you know anxiety, social issues. Here so you go, please don't put me in one of these again. And it was not uh, like I made like an insult to him or, or like insulting him or anything and he's just like no, just don't do it again don't put me in it again and so I'm still doing these and it's like everybody's like liking them and then I'm like I don't really want to draw as much as I love all my friends I really don't want to draw my friends forever and yeah. at the same time this little made up side character the little crust punk kid crusty keenan kept kind of showing up and every time he was in a comic everybody loved it because he would like get the crap beat out of him or he'd get made fun of him. what is What is that?
1: I don't I don't know. I'm trying to figure that out myself. Alright, it stopped.
2: Alright, so he's this <laughs> little crust punk kid Who's always getting beat up and made fun of, and everyone's like always, like you know, shitting on him. And they're like, oh, Get the hell out of here, Krusty Keenan. And he's like, oh, I just went Chase for 40. And the mythos of Krusty Keenan began, began to build. That everyone learned that he lived in a dumpster behind the Guts Crew Records building. <laughs> and then eventually the convenience store guy showed up, and Officer Sturgeon shows up. And then eventually, Krusty's friend, Hawk, who used to wear um, a dress shirt with a tie like Avril Lavigne, for some reason, he showed up. And all these other little characters like Punk Rock Friend Number 3 showed up, and who originally was just... He was just making fun of Punk Rock fashion and people who had no idea what they were supporting. And he eventually just became his own character. And of course... Clowny the Juggalo showed up, and then I was at this point where I'm like, I'm like, I have all these little characters here. I could kind of probably tr- start this focusing on what Trusty's life is like outside of the record label, and it just kind of transitioned to one day Dan Campbell showing up and saying, "You damn crust punk! Why don't you just spend your day at the bar?" And he's just like i can't go in a bar i'm only 16 and the next thing you know child services showed up and shipped them back to school and that was the exact point where i took everybody out of that little world of guts crew records and threw them into Krusty's world to, to see what he's doing and how his life is and at first everyone was like i like this better when my friends do it. and <laughs> I was kind of, like, really defending it. I'm like, I really like this. I think it's going to go somewhere. And eventually, when the other... When when the real-life characters started kind of phasing themselves out, and other characters like Hardcore Polar Bear, the Skinheads, um, of course, Straight-Edge Susie, who who I'm told, at least, by a lot of girls who read the comic, that she's one of their favorite characters because she's not, like irregular female character who's like a damsel in distress or anything. No, she doesn't take anyone's crap. Mm-hmm. That's what she is. Is like she's her own woman. She's independent and she does her own thing. And you know, Krusty does something stupid. She's like, I don't think that's such a good idea, Krusty. And, you know, Hilarity ensues.
1: Okay, so we were we were talking about cross tunes. That's where we were. Yeah, I forget which aspect though. <laughs> Oh well, we were talking about uh, how the transition from Guts Crew to uh, to Crust Tunes, and it's, I mean, I I love both. I think you kind of opened up the door to, to have a broader audience once you you know once you kind of took your friends out of it because then you could you know yeah. you were able to. I mean,
2: it's 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 weird. Yeah, it's weird. It's like when when it was it was just guts crew. Like the the most of my audience was like all my friends that were in the comic, and then when it turned into crust tunes, that's when all the people I didn't know started reading it and thought it was like the greatest thing ever.
1: Yeah, and it definitely it has a a different feel from other comics and cartoons because it's kind of based in the. Uh, the subculture that we come from
2: yeah i mean you have your other comments it's like say and life is posers and nothing mattress and they're they're good but i think crust tunes differentiates itself from that by actually showing like the life the lives of these characters and like you know it's more of like an aspect of it for more of a musician's point of view. Cause like yeah. in a lot of these other comics, it's like, you know, you never see them like talking about going on tour or booking a house show or stuff like that. Or, you know, going to a music store and, and asking the guy why they give guitar picks out in little weed bags. And they say, <laughs> well, cause that's not the only thing we sell.
1: <laughs> now, did you yeah. do Wine and Dine as well, which is another, you know, internet cartoon, but did you start that as a comic before, you know, after you had already started doing Guts Crew and, and Cross Tunes?
2: Um, yeah, I originally started doing Wine and Dine because I had a meeting with a magazine and when I, when I was doing Guts Crew, I was kind of getting into this, this like, one of my biggest dreams... Hold on. One of my biggest dreams always was to have my stuff featured in some sort of a magazine.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So I started putting some stuff together. Like I took the Guts Crew stuff. I actually got that in a magazine first. And then I was like, I'm going to try to actually get paid for this. So I went to this other local magazine. And they I showed them my stuff. And they're like, this is good, but we don't want to run this. And I'm like, well, if I made you... A standalone comic to run in your magazine? Would you run that? And they're like, well, yeah, it depends. See what it was. So, I kind of we had this idea. Me and my one friend at work. Well, he kind of like pushed me to it because he was a fan of my comics when he was younger. Because I work in a I work at a restaurant full mm-hmm. time as like my actual job. And we had this idea. It's like. We have a lot of colorful characters here and one of them of course was Michael.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I pretty much was like it would be cool if I wrote a pilot for like a cartoon TV show that about a restaurant, you know, that's kind of like run into the ground and it's just this guy who's who's completely hates his life and he's trying to get somewhere with this And that's I kind of wrote a little pilot for this show and I never really did anything with it and I was kind of sitting on it and then I'm like thinking about this original comic idea and I'm like I want something that's going to be contemporary that everybody's going to get and then I'm like I could take this idea and I'll take the chef character who at the time had no name um, and Mikey and it will just be the exploits of, of Mikey and his And this chef character, the chef pretty much just always yelled at Mikey, which is what happens at my job every day. (laughs) And I did a couple. I did about the first date. And I I went to the magazine and I'm like, well, here, what do you think about this? And they're like, "Eh, I don't know. It's kind of not what we want. Do you think maybe you could like draw a comic about like the people that work here in this office? And I was just kind of like, I don't work, so I don't know how to write comedy about an office. So then I Mm -hmm. started writing No Class, that little short-lived comic I had for a little bit. And then, like, after six of them, I'm like, this isn't funny. I don't like this. So I just showed it to them. And and actually, this is at the point where they stopped returning my calls because (laughs) Panorama Magazine does not like paying anybody for original content they only like running ads okay
3: so gotcha.
2: <laughs> that left a bad taste in my mouth and i was just like all right well i'm just gonna take i'm gonna take wine and dine and i'm gonna give it to the other magazine that i was doing stuff for and i gave Crust tunes the pennsylvania station so they were both being run in magazines at the same time and while i was making these comics for Hazleton Life magazine at the same time I was beginning to draw other little wine and dines like in my spare time I'm like hey we'll just draw this this is funny oh look there's a waitress now and and another waitress I got to the point where I had about maybe like 80 or 90 of them and I'm like I gotta start doing stuff with these so I announced I was gonna start running wine and dine once a week and then I was just like, eh, I'm just gonna run it every day. <laughs> so that's kind of where that all came from. But I mean and it's 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 real weird because now like I used to do Ted Simon years ago. And like I would do like hope if I was lucky, one every other day. And now I'm doing like the first thing I do when I wake up um, I wake, wake up. Well, if I this is if I'm not working, I wake up, I take a shower, I go upstairs, and I draw two comics in two different worlds. That's, and that's now awesome. I have about a thousand sum of wine and dine made up. And and like I said, there's about almost fifteen thousand well, five hundred, or what is it? One five zero zero. That's what the number is of <laughs> Cresttoons comics.
1: That's <laughs> that's awesome and Crustunes got was wasn't that or maybe it still is I don't know but wasn't
2: that up on Maximum Rock and Roll's website at some point yeah Maximum Rock and Roll run that for a little bit um I kinda just like sent it out there and they were like hey these are pretty cool we'll definitely run it so we ran it for a little bit and the worst part about Backs of Rock and Roll was I would send them one and it'd be like a really good comic, like um, the one where Krusty couldn't get on the show because he didn't sell enough tickets and Booker's like, you can't play. And Krusty's like, well, what do you need for me to play? And he's like, you're first born. And he's like, come on, Susie, back the band now, let's go. Um, okay. And they were like, we don't want to run this but we'll run the one with uh, Susie in the cop cosplay uniform because, you know, sexism is cool. Weird. And I'm just like, it got to a point where I was like, the only time these guys will run something from a cartoonist is if there's some sort of, like, sexist notion in it. Mm. And I didn't like that, so I stopped sending stuff to Maximum Rock and Roll. Gotcha. And then I started just working on the cartoon itself
1: yeah well that sucks that that's how that worked out, but it must be kind of you know cool that a a publication you know even if it's just a website that has the history that maximum rock and roll does you know gave any time to something you've you've done that's got to be you know pretty rad right
2: i mean yeah it's it's kind of <laughs> it, it was it was cool it was really like humbling to be in maximum rock and roll i mean even though it was the website. But at the same time, it's like you got to stick with like your morals and stuff. For sure. And I don't really like. Yeah.
1: Now uh, you've been doing the, the, the cartoons. Both you've done two seasons of Tunes, Is that correct? Is two are two seasons finished?
2: Uh yeah, the first two seasons are done. All well, they're done already out there.
1: Yeah, and there's how many episodes are in each? Twenty. Cool. And what about Wine and, when and Dine?
2: We work on uh uh wine and dine i mean we have all the little shorts done up of them but when i started working on on season one of wine and dine i had this grand vision of it i was like i'm gonna do this just like crust tunes i'm gonna do 20 episodes it's gonna be great but when i decided to start doing a cartoon about the everyday operations of a restaurant i didn't realize that of a restaurant you have all bits and pieces that you have to throw in and animate and literally the difference between crust tunes and wine and dine is, is this crustoons tunes takes place in a different bunch of different environments mm-hmm. um and wine and dine takes place in one area one area that I had to literally lay out the entire foundation for and make each little scene like each little room um up on the computer and hand-drawn and stuff. so And I'd have to remember for, like, continuity where each little room is. Mm -hmm. So, and Wine and Dine kind of, like, that's when it kind of took a life of its own where I had to do, like, like the dining room first off in the show, that took me a couple hours to do Mm -hmm. because you have each little table and chair in there, and then of course you got your background and stuff like that um, but yeah compared to questions there's a lot more detail
1: okay now what's what do you think which which one do you think overall is do you get better responses from you know, on the internet or from just just from friends
2: <coughs> well this is this is where it gets I actually wanted to talk about this um good I'm I have fans for <laughs> each of my, my shows slash comics that I do. And it seems like the people that absolutely love Wine and Dine hate Crust Tunes. And the people that absolutely love Crust Tunes will not give Wine and Dine the light of day. <laughs> but then you have these very rare bands that like both things. And they're equally... And they're like, oh, I like them both. And then like when a Crust Tunes character shows up on Wine and Dine, it's like, oh my god, that's so cool! You know? <laughs> but... Right now, I think because of the the, I don't know. See, that's really weird because I kind of feel like Wine and Dine had a better response. But I, I think the only reason for that is because it was it had better production quality than Crust Tunes. If the production quality for Wine and Dine would have been the same on Crust Tunes, I think Crust Tunes would actually be a lot more popular. Okay. Um, but unfortunately there wouldn't have been 20 episodes for each season then because i would have had to spend about three weeks on each episode the original first two seasons each episode of Crust dudes took me about a week to do. okay near the end of season two when i started changing how i do things and using better programs and stuff um an episode took about two to three weeks Hmm.
1: now did you did you ever have any sort of you know, training as far as animation and you know, production or is this all have you just kinda figured out how to do all this stuff on your own?
2: Um, the latter. Okay. I remember awesome. like it was yesterday. I went to I gotta stop saying that. Um <laughs> I went to a Thanksgiving dinner with a girlfriend at the time and they had asked me, they're like, Oh, so what I'll even use one of my voices what do you do for a living? And I'm like, well, I work in a restaurant, and I do cartoons as well. Hmm, like moving picture cartoons? And I'm like, no, like little comic strips. How droll. Mm. <laughs> so, I'm driving home. Hold on. Hold <laughs> <laughs> So I'm driving home, and I'm thinking... Like, it's, like, really itching at me. Like, everybody has always said, like, yo, if you did animation, it'd be so funny. And I'm like, I gotta figure this out. So the next morning, I woke up, and I'm like, I'm gonna figure out this animation nonsense. And I go downstairs, and I watched a couple videos on animation just to get a feel of, like, exactly what it is. And then... I'm, like, looking up these programs online, and none of them are working out for me. And I'm, like, you know what? We're going to do this South Park style. We're going to do, like, I'm going to draw everything, all separate, cut out animation. I'm just going to draw them, split them up on a computer, do little movements and stuff, and and that's what we're going to do. So... What I literally did, I I did that, and I made everything up, and, like, I colored it made it look all nice. And I went into Photoshop, and I manipulated each character for each single individual frame of how they're going to move and how they're going to talk. Wow. And then I strung it all together. And the funniest thing about this was I was like, I have no idea how any of these characters are going to sound. So I'm like Chef Cookie, and I'm like, you know what? Since... Everyone always thinks that Chef Cookie is me. I'll just do my voice for Chef Cookie. And then I had a little impression of Michael I always did just to, like, you know, bust his balls at work. So I use that. And I made the very first animation I ever did, which was um, the first Wine and Dine short. And I pretty much was, like, I just did that. And I was, like, showed it to everybody. And they're, like, hey, that's, that looks like shit, but it's pretty funny. If it looked good, it'd be even funnier. So I just kept doing like little stupid animation things that I, I did, and eventually I got good at it.
1: <laughs> but I love that. Uh, I kind of love that the you know the DIY ethic even crosses over into the you know the making of the cartoon. Like you just kind of you wanted to do it, and you figured out how to do it on your own.
2: Yeah, and uh, each episode of the cartoon, well, press Tunes and Wine and Dime, um, it's written, animated, drawn, most of the music, is um, in voice acting, I guess I don't know if I said that twice, it's all done by me. Mm-hmm. Um, ex- unless, of course, if it's otherwise noted, which I think the episodes where I have, I have multiple voice actors on are a lot better than the ones where it's just me. Um, a lot of season 2 of Preston sense it was seemed very rushed a lot of the characters were me um, okay. but then near the second part of season 2 you know, Keith kind of the business fairy he kind of got really into um, wanting to do more voice acting he never did it until I asked him to and I thought it'd be funny if he was a shady promoter because I know he's dealt with people like that and then eventually he was like Yo, give me more voices to do. So, you know, I let him be Robert Perrin, the sidekick, in season one, I think. I don't know. I think it was season one. And then, like, he did voices in other episodes. And then he was in Wine and Dine as the health inspector. And now he's in um, Life Just Pain as one of the main characters. Okay.
1: So it seems like now you've kind of got to. I've, you know, seen most of your cartoons, and there's. Kind of a a lot of the same names are showing up as voice voice actors, so it seems like you've uh, kind of built a team, like a good team of voice actors.
2: Um, yeah. Well, when when we started like doing the voice acting thing, it literally was just me like asking friends. Like, I think the first person I asked to be on something um, was Caitlin, and the reason was because we used to hang out years ago and I, she knew like I wanted to do stuff with film and stuff and I'm mm-hmm. like, ah, if I ever become like a director or something you're definitely going to be one of my movies and you know, haha and then when I started doing animation, I'm like ah, crap, I'm going to need girls to do some voices that aren't my girlfriend at the time because the girlfriend I had at the time she didn't really have like a prolific voice and couldn't really do other voices okay. so I was just kind of like I just called Caitlin. I'm like, yo, you want to be something on a cartoon? And she's like, sure. Cause she does, she does like theater and stuff like that. So she started doing the voice of Flo, which was perfect. She is, she is Flo. And then when we started doing crust tunes, I'm like, I think you're gonna be Sheila, the desolate one. Just let your mall girl out, and let it go. So she's Sheila. Um, and she's also What's-Her-Name, which kind of is the same voice as Flo, but we're going to ignore that. Um, and in Wine and Dine, of course, like I said, she's Flo, and she does Brittany, too. And I think I think her acting as Brittany is probably the best work she's done with any cartoon I've done. And she's in Life is Pain as well. She plays one of the characters. Um, and she also does some voice acting stuff with me on Space Theater. Cool. And then, you know, there's other voice actors, like there's Zach, Zach Houser, Um, he was like the second person I asked him, like, Zach, do you want to, I said, Zach, do you want to do a voice, he's like, oh my god,
4: yeah, I'll do a voice,
2: (laughs) he was so excited, but like, I don't, the original voice of Air the Anarchist was going to be Alec Gallagher, but he is so, um, not dedicated to anything, that he just would never show up, so I'm just like, Zach, you're Air now, did you just use your voice? And I eventually let him start doing other voices, too. So now Zach is, like, one of our main voice actors. Cool. And, you know, Keith, um, Dylan, and Durko from uh, Space Heater. He has his own cartoon. He does some voices, too. After we found out about each other, we kind of, like, traded off on doing voice acting with each other. Cool. Um, and then, you know, you have your cool little guest spots, like Eric Fun. Um, he's on a bunch of episodes. Chris Decker he uh, plays Hawk's dad and Mitch Chaplin and some other characters and things I do Um, and you know Bob Ellis from Heroes and Hooligans Mm -hmm. and Chelsea Smart of course she does a lot of voice stuff it's just it's real fun you know like when you imagine to do these things you think like oh well if I have money I'm gonna get so and so the famous actor to be the voice of this person but then when you actually do it and you have your friends do it it's like so much more worth it, like when we did the Christmas episode and Tyler and Lights were on it. That was the funnest episode because they literally just acted as themselves.
1: That's awesome. <laughs> uh, so you, you mentioned Life is Pain a while ago, and and I know from our personal conversation that that's that's like the next big thing you're doing. Is that that's is that correct?
2: Yeah. Um, well, I always like. I said when I was doing season one of Crust Tunes, someone had asked me, "They're like, do you, do you ever think you're going to do like an animated movie or something like that?" And I kind of had this idea, like I really want to do like a Crust Tunes movie at some point. And the idea would be like they're all on tour,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and the tour just does not go good. And I have, I had that written, but the way I wrote it, there was just so much going on. I was like, I would never be able to do this by myself. And like at the same time I'm looking at life as pain and I'm like Wow, I'm like, I should really release this. And it just sat there and sat there and sat there and I'm reading it over and over again and I'm like, you know what? I'm like I think this would really make a good film if I did it. Because when I would do a graphic film I'd always like design it like to be like if it was a movie, how would it work? And mm-hmm. that's how I would design it. And that's how I designed Life is Pain and Squid Life Crisis and finally I was like I want to try to do this as a film and then I think halfway through Wine and Dine like at the beginning of Wine and Dine I was like I can't do a film I gotta I gotta hold off on that and, and not do it and then halfway through Wine and Dine I'm like the next thing I'm gonna do I want to do a film because I feel like that's where I need to go and I think it was literally like the week after I did Wine and Dine. This is what I always do to myself. I'm like, I'm going to take a month off, relax, not stress myself out, refresh my brain, and then go right into Life is Pain. Mm. I l- literally, I sat down the day after I finished Wine and Dine. I started messing around with like some snow effects on my computer, and the next thing you knew, the first scene of Life is Pain was done. And I was like, well, if there's no turning back now, I guess I'm doing life is pain. <laughs> Very cool. And then I just pretty much reached out to everyone I've been involved with before who was voice acted for me and was like, if you want to be in the film, there's a part for you. And we got Chris, um, Keith, Caitlin. Unfortunately, Zach was not able to lead the voice for this one. We had planned to, but he had just been too busy. Um, and of course we had, we had some newer voice actors too. Um, like since we were talking about Rochester, uh, Corey Kesserling does a voice. Very cool. And, uh, John Kiss, of course, he has one of the best parts in the whole movie. He plays a drunk guy who keeps asking for change for forties. And, (laughs) um, originally in the book, this character was just like a little side character, but when I asked John to do it, he says static and then John was like hey, could I do some uh, ad-lib? And I was like, okay, sure. So he did a little bit of ad-lib on there and it just came out so great. Like, his character is just, I think his character is my favorite character in the whole movie and when I do another movie, because I do plan on doing more films in the future, he's definitely going to be in them as well as episodes of press Tunes.
1: Cool. What, when's the expected release for Life is Pain?
2: Well, hopefully it's going to be finished next week. The plan is next week. It's probably going to be the week after. And then I, I plan on doing an aggressive um, little promotion campaign for it. Um, I'm going to be making a Facebook event page. Um, I'm going to be take, actually taking out some ad space, hopefully, to promote the release of the film. Cool. And the projected release date, I want to say, is going to be the end of June. Because um, I want to have it out before Yardstock. Oh, awesome! And another idea I have is I want to take it around to venues across the Northeast and um, actually premiere it before it's released, so people will see it and get a buzz going.
1: Yeah, and this is and, you know it's a it's not a full length you know feature length movie like it's a it's a short film, correct?
2: Um. Yeah, it's probably only... It's looking right now like it's going to be about ten minutes. Yeah. Which is the longest thing I've ever done. Okay. Might be shorter. I'd like if it was longer. But you can only stretch something out for so long before it seems watered down. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like I said, it's going to be ten minutes. Um, the story, like I was saying earlier about the film, it's about... Um, I wouldn't want to say it's mostly about alcoholism because as I'm working on it it seems more or less it's about um what was the tagline I came up with uh, life is what you make of it not what it turns you into about. it's about getting out there and, and and fixing things for yourself and not relying on other people to do that for you
1: very cool well, I'm yeah. super excited to see it and uh no, what's Oh well, yeah. Oh, go ahead.
2: It's definitely gonna be like the most visually appealing thing I've ever done. Um originally I planned on using um bits of classical music as the score, but half after, after working through the first part of it, I'm like the score this piece I'm using is not going to be long enough. And I feel like if I keep it with that, I'm going to be hurting the story. So I ended up where I started to write um, a main theme for it, and now, almost done with the film, it has its entire film score for it. So that's a that's a whole thing too. Yeah, that's, <laughs>
1: and that's another thing we haven't even touched on is like you're not only animating and voicing a lot of you know some of these characters, you're also you know scoring a lot of these. You know the cartoons, and and obviously the the Life Is Pain um, short film, and and you know, and also using your you know using Friends music. So I just I love that, you know, you're you're including your friends and and doing so much work on your own as well.
2: Yeah, um, one of my favorite parts of tube that I'm really looking forward to season three with this aspect is adding music from my friends bands mm-hmm. or bands in general because it's like every episode has a theme and I always tend to pick the one song that fits that theme perfectly like you know we do the Christmas episode and we used uh, Merry Christmas by the D-Grade Monsters um, and of course they were all over the Halloween episode and yeah. then, like we'll do like i'm trying to think of another good episode like we'll use the ticketing and we use these these streets from endangered youth yeah (laughs) (laughs) which is a whole other thing
1: that's a Um, that's an old school track too man that's that's super old
2: and that, was, that episode was really hard to pick a song for, because I'm like, I don't have any friends that have any songs about parking tickets or anything, so I'm just like, <laughs> alright, I'm just going to use these streets from Endangered Youth because they're driving on the street.
1: <laughs> well, that's not what the song's about at all, but that's amazing.
2: Yeah, it's not what it's about, but I mean, it kind of, I made it work
1: yeah. somehow.
2: And then, like you know, the episode with the Lucha Rats, who basically are a parody of the Aquabats. Um, <laughs> we use one of Keith's sauce, the Sarah Scott band. And then, um, I forgot what I used at the end of, of Down with the Car Sickness, but I think it was. Oh, well, a good example is um the uh, the meme episode where the whole running joke is is uh, internet trends, and at the end, Hawk is like, "Yeah, that shows you not to give in internet trends." Come on, let's take a selfie to celebrate, and then the music at the end was "Should I Take a Selfie" by Billy Mac? <laughs> <laughs> which was like that was my favorite ending of any episode.
1: Yeah, now is will will Crust Tune season three be the next the next project you are focused on after you're done with with Life Is Pain?
2: Yes. When I finish Life Is Pain, my plan really this time is to take two weeks off and not do anything involved with cartoons or you know, music I have to do stuff because I'm in like, you know two bands (laughs) and I'm planning, the first episode we plan on producing is going to be, it's actually called uh, Death Rosenstock (laughs) Um, and it's about Death coming for Krusty since he picked Death in the uh, Krusty Tunes episode um, Punk is Dead Mm-hmm. Um, but they find out at the same time that Death actually has his own solo project <laughs> and they make a deal with him and say, well, if we get you shows, will you let us live? And it kind of works. And it's going to be real funny because like, that, that whole concept literally just came from me doing a word play on Jeff Rosenstock's name. I'm like, ha, Death Rosenstock. And then it just clicked <laughs> in my head.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Um,
2: and we're really, on this season, we're really going to be focusing more. I know season two kind of got out of control with, like, the super villains. Like, you know, (laughs) Michael Bay shows up and and plans to blow up Gutsville, and it's like, oh, well, I'm sure this has something to do with Punk Rock somewhere. (laughs) But, in season two, or season three, I'm really planning on having more episodes about um, Keenan and the Krusties going on tour to, like, out of state um dealing with house shows dealing with musicians trying to glob onto your show um i have an idea i actually i want to add the um the feminist well i don't know if this actually showed up in the comic yet i don't think it did it might have but there's a new group of female characters called the Gutsville feminist front and i want to involve them more in it because there's a lot of female characters from the comic that showed up since season two that haven't showed up in the cartoon yet, and I really want to use them, like cool. the the twins, um, the uh, the green haired girl from uh, the Punk House, Sam the Scene Girl, of course, uh, Gina Trzlecki the poet. Like it's just it's so so much um material that I could like just put into this now. And it's just, it's beautiful. Um, but yeah, we're going to be doing that. Um, there's plans. We're adding a, a new nemesis to Krusty this season. Um, Lou, the, the mechanic, he's kind of taking a back seat. He's, he's planning his evil schemes at this time. Um, and in season three, we're introducing a new band called the Black Void. They are a screamo-core power violence band, um, <laughs> And they are fronted by Krusty's evil twin cousin, Montgomery Von Montgomery, who is an overprivileged rich kid, um, who wears, you know, fingerless gloves and a a denim black vest. And he's just like, he's literally Krusty's arch nemesis. And it kind of, it does a little joke with most cartoons like you know where you watch like season one of, of like ninja turtles and like you see everything and he's like right in the shredder and then in season two like some character shows up you've never heard of before but they're like oh we know who this guy is he's our arch enemy. or like in invader Zim, where in like season one you see gurren Zim the entire time and then in season two mini moose shows up and they're like who the hell is this like oh it's mini moose he's been here the whole time yep <laughs> But pretty much when they first come in contact with Montgomery Vaughn, Montgomery, Krusty's like, ah, so we meet again. And everyone's like, who? You've never met this guy? And he's like, no, we've met tons of times. <laughs>
1: <laughs> is is there, Are you planning on doing another season of Wine and Dine in the future? Or is, you know, is that just kind of on, in the backseat for now?
2: Yes, actually... I'm glad you brought this up Because a lot of people have been asking about things After season 3 of Crust Tunes Now this season 3 is probably not going to be as long As season 2 or 1 was Because I feel like in those ones I did more Quantity not quality Okay. And I'm kind of aiming for Quality not quantity for this season I want to do a lot of episodes that are music themed Since I'm doing other cartoons now
3: Mm
2: -hmm. But there's probably going to be about 10-15 episodes of the next season of Crust Tunes they're going to be good episodes. Cool. After that, um, I'm planning with uh, Chris Decker right now to produce a Simon and Rusty full-length cartoon. And that's going to be done in the same vein as the first season of Wine and Dine. Like, we're only going to do five episodes to just get a feel, see how people like it. After that we're going to be working on season two of wine and dine. And my plan with that is to actually do more than five episodes and kind of get more into like cookies life and, and all the characters lives. And, you know, we have, I have a couple like episode ideas right now. Like Guy Fieri shows up um, <laughs> without being asked to and breaks into the restaurant and just like ruins their day by walking around with a cameraman and asking people questions um, another episode or other ideas like um, Tater taught is having problems with bullying at school. But while this is going on, Brittany gets a crush, and this is straight out of always sunny. I didn't. I probably subliminally thought of this, but Brittany has <laughs> a crush on a 18 year old, and it gets real creepy. And Chris Hansen shows up, <laughs> um, and of course, we have other episode ideas like. I was talking about an episode idea called uh, Rock Out With Your Crock Out, where um, the steam table breaks, and they have to put everything in crock pots, and there's just a million crock pots everywhere. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and like, there's just like so much that we want to do with it.
1: Dude, you, you, you do a lot of stuff, and that, like, just, you'll be busy for a long, long time doing all this stuff.
2: Oh, yeah, like, the fact that I don't have any sort of personal life whatsoever just doesn't even matter anymore. That's out <laughs> the window. I just have so much creative stuff that I have to work on. I mean, I have this, I have, um, another film I'm going to be working on in the very near future. Um, me and the business fairy Keith were talking about putting together a pilot for maybe like adult swim or IFC or something.
1: That would be awesome. Now that he- I mean, that's, That's just
2: the idea. We don't know if we're actually going to do it. Yeah.
1: Now, is there... Because I don't really know anything about the world of of cartoons and anything like that other than just, like, watching them, you know, when they, you know, end up on TV or Netflix or whatever. But is there a whole, like, underground, like, world of, like, tons of people making these cartoons? Because it it seems... If
2: there is, I haven't found it yet. Okay. The only other people I know that make cartoons I've already mentioned, and that's yeah. Dylan Anderko with Space Heater. And that show is just, if you like what I do, watch what he does, and okay. you'll your eyes will be like, wow, this is completely different from what Ted does, but this is insane. Yeah. Because so, he's, he's more or less on, on a lot of, like, the crudeness of Space Heater just gives it its own, its own style.
1: Okay. Yeah, because, yeah. I mean, I know how it is in music, and everyone's got a band or some sort of project these days, and it's so, like, everything's always so oversaturated as far as, like, so many bands, but, you know, not as many people are willing to, or at least not people I know are willing to put the amount of time and energy into the animation and, and doing all the stuff that you do as far as that goes.
2: Yeah, a lot of people, like, they like to say that I don't really have a life, but what I choose to do with it, um, I like. Yeah, and I mean... T- like, literally, with the this is how with Preston's it used to go. I'd come home on a Sunday, I would voice act the episode, I'd start animating it Sunday night. I'd work on it Monday when I had free time. I'd work on it Tuesday when I had free time. I'd work on it Wednesday when I had free time. If it was a longer episode, I'd work on it Thursday. But normally, by the end of the week, it'd be done and I would post it. And then I would be free on the weekends to do shows. Um, You're talking about oversaturation. I've stopped being a graphic designer recently because of oversaturation. Everybody who has a computer has a pirated copy of Photoshop and is a graphic designer Mm -hmm. now. It's killing the graphic design business. People have gone to school for this for four years, and now they can't find work because everybody makes flyers on their own computer. Yeah. So that kind of put things in perspective for me. Um, to stop trying to be something that I'm not and try to make money off of it mm-hmm. and to just focus on working on my cartoons and my comics because nobody else does that. I don't know anybody besides Cap um, uh, Burbage. I probably pronounced her name wrong. Um, and maybe a few of my friends from Virginia that focus on doing cartoons and comics and stuff like that. So, I was just kind of like, I'm just going to focus on doing this and focus on doing film because I don't know anybody who really does this. So, if somebody needs something like that, they could ask me. And it's not like, oh, hey, well, I need a flyer for a show. I can do it. And then they go behind your back and they get someone else to do it mm. with, you know, Microsoft Paint.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's just, it's kinda, it's like really sad. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm all for like DIY stuff, um, but it's just sad like with people who actually have talent to try to do these things, they just kind of throw it in their face. Uh-huh. And I'll quote something from somebody where pretty much it was said like, I'll, I'll do a design for your band for a little compensation. They're like, you want me to pay you for a drawing? That's stupid. That's what you know. Society's come to these days.
1: Yeah. Well, it's like if you want to, if you want something, just if you don't want to pay for something, then find it. Then do it yourself. I guess. Like, don't expect like, somebody yeah, well, else to do do something. That's
2: you know. like doing your own electrical work at home. Good luck with it. You know.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, let's uh, let's wrap things up. Where can uh, where can people find your your stuff on the internet and I'm I'm gonna there's gonna be all these links in the in the show notes like there always are but um where can people find your stuff
2: um we'll I have a website www.tedhazardstudios.com um of course I'm on YouTube if you look up Crust Tunes or Wine and Dine mm-hmm. or Ted Hazard it'll come up right away if you google Crust Tunes there's so many different links that go to um, my websites, um, same thing with Wine and Dine, you might have to dig a little more for Wine and Dine, because I'm sure there's, like, some sort of, like, um, you know, food websites called Wine and Dine.
1: Yeah, well, well, it's spelled wine like W-H-I-N-E, so. Yeah. So that'll help.
2: Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, awesome, and as far as, you know, musically, I know you've you recently put out a new Ted Hazard album and you're playing with Condition Oakland. Uh, do you want to plug what you're doing musically and anything you've got coming up in, in the near future?
2: Well, I am, I'm on yard stock. I have a bunch of local shows coming up. Um, there's talks of maybe doing a tour in maybe the fall, but I know I tried doing that last year and it just didn't work. Uh um, I do at, In the next year At least uh, Starting to work on an album Again another one Another full band album Cool And I'm also trying to put a Volume 2 of Sociopathic Media out Where I'm picking newer, New songs Not new songs But different songs I haven't performed full band yet And putting them out Because when Sociopathic Media came out That was mostly an experiment To see if I could do full band stuff And it worked And Then I did Self Reconstruction Which came out great It did Now I'm gonna be doing Another Sociopathic media And I'm gonna be doing Songs like Rickety Steps Fuck You It's Christmas Um Maybe Broken Memories Just you know Stuff I didn't do On the other albums Okay
1: Very cool Alright man Well thank you so much For you know Spending a couple hours On a Sunday afternoon To talk And um Hopefully, some new people are gonna find out about uh, what you're doing, and really, you know, and really dig it.